Welcome to this episode of True Worth Tech Talks. Um, today, we're excited to introduce a tech visionary and a master of innovation, John Ridd. John is a renowned problem solver with a knack for blending technology and business savvy. He's transformed the insurance sector with his strategic insights, bringing in groundbreaking approaches to product standardization and regulation compliance. As the founder of software company Evid, John revolutionized enterprise workflow by creating a platform for capturing and verifying media. That's helped to reshape how the insurance industry processes claims, combats fraud, and improves client satisfaction. His efforts didn't just stop there. He's a proven leader in maximizing value in the IT sector, having worked with multinational corporations, government bodies, including the White House, and investors to optimize strategies and skyrocket revenues. John's expertise has led to the development of an impressive intellectual property portfolio, including two patents that have cemented Evid's status as a frontrunner in digital evidence. His mission? To empower organizations with verified media and introduce innovative solutions to markets everywhere. Get ready to dive into the world of John Ridd, where innovation meets practicality and transformation is just another day at the office. Hello, John. Good to see you. Good morning. How are you, Sam? I'm very well indeed. Thank you. Very well indeed. Thank you for joining me on the True Earth Tech Talks podcast. We really do appreciate it. Um, John, you and I have, have known each other for a, a few years now. Um, you were a client of mine back in the day. Um, and um, I think at the time, the company I worked for, we placed quite a few people with you. And then, um, you know, we've kept in touch. And then we've spoken a few times recently about the stuff that you've done in the past. And it's been fascinating talking to you about insurance technology, learning more about what's going on in the market right now and your journey. So do you want to just give us a bit of an overview and, and kick us off with your background and, um, you know, a little bit about your your sort of your journey itself? Would that be OK? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, so for me, I would classify myself as an innovator and entrepreneur. So, you know, starting up businesses, but innovation for me is and the creativity and the use of technologies that is the thing that I love. I absolutely thrive on it. Um, so let me give you a couple of examples of, of what I've done previously. One of those would be um, sort of 20 odd years ago, I had a business where um, I conceived the idea of building an insurance policy to put in place physical and logical insurance on a data center. And, and that actually bore out and we uh, delivered the, the world's first digital insurance policy, which was for one and a half billion. Now, the significance of that was it, is, it was effectively the, the, the forerunner to uh, cyber insurance. So it was the world's first cyber insurance policy. Um, and the complexity of that and you know the thri thriving on that was looking at the commercials and how you collaborated and worked with the underwriters to bring it about. 
having to look at how you documented the risk and analyze the risk and then also looking at how you built it um so that was all all to do with sort of meeting their needs of regulations and things like that so so for me that was one thing i then went with that into uh working with global governments looking at um whether you could bring insurance as a an, as an instrument to help them regulate the um uh regulate the internet and the market as it was at that time yeah and i think there's certain parallels there to the way that you know the thinking is at the moment for do we bring in regulation for ai you know because it's how we're going to control it how does it get managed and that's a that's a different conversation but um and then for me the other thing would be what i've done with that coming into avid was you know two two things that for me um was the use of technology and the use of creating of uh, the use of video within workflow um, and how that was used and adopted within the insurance market, ranging from, you know, how how is it used for policyholders? How is it used for risk management? How is it used for loss adjusters in the field? How do you collect the data from uh, multiple types of vehicles? Um yeah, so so that's a little bit of my background. That's brilliant, John. Thank you. Um, just give us a, a practical example of um, where Evid's technology would be used so that people that are not familiar with the business can kind of get a bit more context about that. Okay, so um, two, two, two good examples of that would be uh, a client came to us where they've, they've got multiple streams of, of video. Um, needing to be captured and this so is an insurance company isn't this it? is an insurance company yeah, yeah yeah so this is an insurance company who had the had the issue and this is still a very difficult um still a complex and difficult um uh problem because you've got so many different formats of video you know at the moment you have a standardized format on on your on your smartphone but when you look at start to bring in CCTV footage, uh, drone footage, uh, dash cam footage, you start to talk about probably you know a couple, a dozen, a dozen or more formats, and then some of those formats. When you look at buses, um, a bus typically will have you know a number of cameras, and those cameras all get streamed into one codex. Okay, which is. Uh, effectively you will then get to see all the different video streams in one in one window but if they're proprietary what happens and the problem is that the the insurers have is they get they get thrown all this sort of video footage and you want to be you want the claim manager or the claim handler to be able to see that in one browser in one window so how do you do that and it's really difficult it's a complex issue so overcoming that is a major issue. Once video comes into the into the claim process, you know it takes time. Automating that was a big win for our, for our clients. You know we took them from handling claims at 30, 40, 50 days to handling and and to handling a claim and processing it in twenty four hours. Um, another one would be where major major loss adjusters used our. Um, uh, video and form technology for um, collecting of data into perhaps environmental claims or uh, marine claims. So, um, say for example, they were having uh, wind turbines delivered. They'd need to or shipped. 
these turbines would need to be uh, logged in terms of what's the quality and inspected prior to shipment. They'd need to be inspected once they were put onto the on, onto the uh, ship. Um, and then once they got to dock, they'd have to be monitored in terms of how they were then um, disembarked. And they have to go through all the different quality standards and gateways. And each time you have to process it with a different in, different inspector or at a different right. location. And then what we did was we automated all of that using video and, re, and BI reporting so that one person would go in, do an inspection, share it, send it, report it. That report could fire through into a number of people within a process, whether that's the insurer, a different inspector. Um and, and so it go on, but you then get a fully recorded and chronological order of, of, of the inspection. So any claim or any fault can be seen and recognised, whereas previously, even though they were using you know, some form technology and photos, it was still a very clunky process. And, and this feels like nowadays that's pretty standard, surely. That's how everyone works. But this is talking 10, 15 years ago, isn't it? No, no, no. This is this for me is and I still think this is this is where the market is. It still is where the, the market is. We use it today. Um I think I think this is standard for where you would think of um say traditional claims of builders and um building inspection, um home claims. But where you move into um, where you move into uh, major loss and um, risk is you've got professional people in the field who are well well versed. You know they're certified uh, individuals, professional individuals who are are well versed at going out and doing their job on a daily basis. Mm. And the introduce typically if you introduce a technology that does everything all at once you don't get the buy-in right and getting the okay. buy-in to a process is really important because sometimes people have a fear of technology they think it's going to replace them yeah where and sometimes it is you can't say it isn't but a lot of the time these technologies are really help, are really there to help people do a better job and improve their productivity so being able to do these to do, to deliver that sort of functionality, um, yeah, it sounds like it's something that should be there, um, but actually pushing that out and looking at how you refine that into into a process and getting the buy-in is 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 equally important. And is that one of the biggest challenges, getting that sort of, I guess it's like a change management piece in a big enterprise company. You're bringing in some new technology. Everyone's a bit kind of, um, you know, doesn't want to use that new technology for whatever reason. So there's a bit of a change management piece in that, isn't there? There is. Yeah, there is quite a piece of a change management. And typically, the way to approach that, that I, you know, that the success is 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 getting the buy-in from people at a at, at, at ground level. Yeah, you know, you going got the to other do- way, going the other way around rather than down down to the bottom it's well what you've got you've got to get the buy-in at the top to get the decision yeah of course but to start that project before you start the project you need to get people baked into a process where Mm. you've got you perhaps your um you know 
your best adopters or your worst case adopters and you want to you want you want to find that mixture of people who are who are going to be challenging you you want yeah. you really do want people who are going to challenge you and actually when you're developing the technology and developing the processes you do want to make sure that you're understanding fully what the functionality is and how it's working is it providing uh, it's okay to say, is it providing what the enterprise needs? But is it providing that user case? Is it easy? Is it easy for them to use? Mm. And quite often, some of those things are overlooked. Yeah, and it takes time. It does take time. Um, well, that's really helpful to kind of understand where your journeys come from. So you've gone gone from kind of the first digital cyber insurance policy to an innovative business that's changing how insurance claims are processed so obviously that saves loads of time and money for the actual insurance company and it makes the whole customer experience a lot smoother what do you see now you know fast forward to 2023 20 moving into 2024 what are the kind of short-term issues where i guess you feel the insurance market needs to now consider here and now and what are those risks and concerns for you what do they look like i think there's there's a fantastic one that's uh, I'm, I'm sorry i'm wrong in saying fantastic but <laughs> i think there's a there's a um an immediate risk for insurers um and uh the risk is fraud mm. now all the insurers go oh the risk the risk becomes more prevalent and if we look at fake media, everyone's been looking at and talking about deep fake. But yeah. right now, you know, the market feedback is and, and what we do now is what we do know now is that devices are enabling you to take a photograph and either um, delete or add items into a photograph. Mm. And the quality of it is so good that majority of the time they're going undetected. Right. Okay. So, so that leads straight into well, number one, what can be done about that now? How do we how do we identify it? Um, and that's a big question in itself. Mm. And the second one that goes with that is is realistically um, for any enterprise to develop an a, a, an AI system that can actually identify the risk we're just at that start point but this just becomes another enterprise product that's got to be developed so and when you think about it and, and it's well documented so if you looked at for example for the content authentication initiative which is a global initiative with adobe and, and microsoft organizations like that you know, they clearly identified that they're all about verification. How do you bet verification into a photograph? But there's 1.6 trillion photographs and videos taken every year. It's it's it, absolutely, it's less than a percent. It's fractional percents that are actually ever verified. Mm. So the fact is that you've got, um, you know, this huge majority, which is unverified information, so it's easy for deep fake to fit within it. But what you've got is 
um, where you effectively you're going to have if we once we create an AI system to 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 identify deep fake, then effectively you're going to have an alternative which is the um, which are the fraudsters creating AI systems that can actually understand how you're identifying it and and create a counterattack. It's going to be exactly the same as antivirus. Wow. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. So, so there's there's in the immediate term. And I think it is right bang into motor and home content is your risks are how do you identify what's real? And the feedback I've got is that people are now receiving pretty good photos, which they know that are fake. And that's only the ones that they know. They don't know how many they're receiving. So basically, you're saying that someone can doctor an image, but take a picture of a, a dent in a car, say that it's probably going to be worth five, six hundred quid. And they've got a network already set up where they've got a, a fake body repair business that will repair the damage. No, no, no. Won't. What, what, how, how does it work? How does it work? Well, I, the way I think it'll work is that the, the fraudsters will do this on what are cl- classifiers low value claims, mm. where effectively it's not worth the insurer um, trying to send somebody out or to um, interrogate what sits behind the claim. So it's going to be 400, 600, maybe 800 pound claims effectively where what somebody what they'll do is they'll say give us the information give us the give us what documentation you've got show us what the issue is and let's make an an assessment you have got other barriers in the way i mean you have got voice detection systems that are trying to detect what people are telling you but that Mm. doesn't mean to say that you're definitely going to be able to uh, spot this when you receive that photograph you'll make a judgment call on it if you see something that you think is fake, yes, you can then interrogate it. But the quality of these images are of such that quite often you're not going to know. Mm. You know, and there's devices out there right now coming into the market which allow you to manipulate the image. You know, they've got the capability on them and within the cloud. Mm. So especially when we're in a market conditions where we are today, you know, where, um, you know, the economy, the way it is, there is going to be more people that will chance their arm at, can I get a four or 500 quid? Mm. I will show a dent in a car or I will show or delete images. You know, TVs fall off the wall. You didn't have a TV on the wall anyway, but I'll just show a broken TV on the on the floor, you know? It's, it's it's but surely this has been going on for years hasn't it and the insurance companies must mitigate this and set aside you know a percentage of their revenue for fake claims is that not how it works it is of course it is but it's a cost and yeah. the cost is to them and then the cost is to us as policyholders the cost always fall, follows through 
So it's always a, a priority for insurers to try and mitigate fraud. You mm-hmm. know, the last thing they need is to have people uh, practically um, using uh, fake information. I mean, not not talking about fake information, but I did read an article from um, Crawford's about how they'd come across a uh, a fraudulent claim for uh, a BMW, and it was a, a team of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, dentists. So it's a dental. It was a dental practice where they'd wow. they, they'd actually created, um, and it wasn't. It was a um, it wasn't fake, but they'd actually created a, an accident. So in other right. words, you know. And and that's been that's been going on for years. Oh, it's been going on it? for years. Been going on yeah. for years, but it still goes on. Mm. And for me, it's it's so um, insurers and the supply chain absolutely have to have um, mechanism mechanisms methodologies and people constantly assessing fraud. So coming back to me and date deep fake, you know, it's something I've talked about for years, but now it's 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 on the handsets. Yeah. Without naming the handsets, there's handsets right now that are doing it. So, and uh, how do you how do you then envision those connected devices or or the Internet of Things driving that innovation in the insurance sector, such as motor? And what does that mean? Okay, so I. I would like to firstly come back to, because there's lots of people and you hear a lot of press about about this. Firstly, there was the, um, let's look at the big picture in the UK, this is. So the big picture in the UK is the King's speech on the 7th stated that Parliament would agree legislation for the autonomous vehicle onto UK roads, which is massive. And it's this this year's Parliament that will put the um, legislation in place. So, so that means we're going to see the autonomous vehicle. Now, firstly, for me, when people talk about AI, and we're all worried about AI in the cloud, when we talk about IoT and the Internet of Things, for me, it's going to be AI on the edge mm. in the device. Okay. And motor is a great example to start with because... Um, AI sits in the in in the in the vehicle. Good example of that was uh, it's probably three to four years ago now. Early testing of an AI or, or autonomous vehicle in Texas, it knocks it knocks somebody over and killed them. And everyone gets het up about flipping heck. Are these autonomous vehicles going to knock over and kill people? Well, actually, if we look at, at the human aspect of an accident, if you had an accident and you pulled out at somebody on a T-junction, whatever those conditions are, is repeated. I could sit at the same T-junction and have the same accident 20 minutes later Mm. because I don't communicate with you and I don't actually know your conditions and how how that works. Whereas what happened with that vehicle in Texas, it looked at the situation, it learned about the situation, and then it actually sent that report into the cloud almost in real time. And then it can populate all the other autonomous vehicles to go learn by this mistake. Don't do this again. So the, the implications of that into motor are number one, 88% of um, accidents are down to human error. 
So there's not going to be a big jump from us all going into autonomous vehicles, there's not. But let's look at it in terms of how that filters through into um, into the key market sectors. And where that's going to be going to is, is haulage and fleet. Mm. And people are already talking about how you'll have haulage trains linked into autonomous vehicles. So in other words, you'll have four or five um, wagons that will link into it and go down a motorway. You know, the motorways, from what I understand, the motorways in the UK are already wired for some of these things to, to, to work. So the autonomous haulage vehicle. But as these start to come to market, one, they'll be more cost effective. Um, two is that um, it will reduce the number of incidents because effectively, over a period of time, the type of vehicles normally have so if you look at for it say for example the average uh car driver he'll have an accident once every 10 years mm. makes a makes a claim yeah whereas in haulage it's going to be double perhaps once every five years right okay we'll make a claim yeah now whatever those statistics are i may i may be out slightly but the implications are almost the same it's almost double mm. so the implication is as you bring more automation or automated vehicles in the it will have a, a reduction in the number of incidents so that's how a c motor um um but where does it sit in home and for me homes uh crikey in the intelligent home and the mass market, well, if you consider that Sky and Zurich uh, launched earlier this year the first gateway, I'd say intelligent gateway for home insurance, that was a that was a major coup. Uh, I know that was done through the acquisition of Neos, um, and then they've taken that and they've uh, redefined it. But that really places intelligence into the home. And for me, it's um, it's the first it's the first wave, but we've already got the second wave. There are already AI systems. Um, so if we think about what we talked about in motor a moment ago, we talked about how legislations come in to motor. No legislation is needed to bring an AI into into the device into into the home. It's just about as and when the cost efficiencies and the technology arrives. The technology is arriving. Um, you know, I know it'll be in the market by uh, it'll be in the market next year, so twenty twenty four. Um, the technology AI will be in the home. Um, what will it do? Well, firstly, it's going to provide huge amounts of data sets, so insurers could learn a huge amount. What's it going to do for them? It's also going to enable them to manage out risks because effectively. If you looked at sort of the growth of where most of those claims, where AI can affect it, it's around about 50% of those claims. You're never going to stop storm or accidental damage. But if you looked at fire, leak, uh, theft, vandalism, things like that, they're all assigned into it's, it's about 50% of the claims. But once you've got AI into it, you've got an ability to manage that in sort of real time stroke near time. 
So your ability to get the policyholder to intervene, it puts it puts them in control. And it's it's almost it's a paradigm shift for insurance. Because traditional insurance is sat there on the sidelines. And I'm not saying it's going to get replaced straight away. It won't, because it'll, you know, these things take it will take time. My forecast in this is it's not going to take as long as we think. I think, you know, three to five years from now, we'll pretty much up pretty much the vast majority of the market will have adopted this technology. Why? Because that change in behavior, if you think about it, firstly, coming back to the user experience, my user experience as a policyholder means that why do I want to let something leak into the house and it not be serviced? If I've got a way of actually intervening and uh, enabling me to uh, manage a leak and minimize the cost and disruption to me, I will do that. Mm. And it's the same for fire. It's the same for theft. So I've got to get... If it, especially if it's going to save them money on their house insurance. Well, ultimately, that's what, what will happen because what yeah. you're going to be doing is you're going to be managing out the risk. Yeah. Whereas traditional insurance, that's going to continue on the same trajectory. And when you've got inflation and you've got numbers of things going up, then it continues to go up in price, whereas this means it can be linear. So we're going to see more kind of disruption in that insurance market then, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the big and I, insurance companies need to... Well, I think they what? can. Well, I don't think. I, th I think big insurance companies need to get into investigation. They've right. got to start to start to understand and investigate. They can pretty much sit on the sidelines and watch, to be honest. Mm. But they do need to look at how you know some of them have got some nice incubator um, propositions built around them. And if I was them, I'd be actually looking at how do I actually explore getting devices like this into into. Um, branded into some sort of uh, service so I can learn from it. Um, secondly, I think there will be new insurers that will come to market because there will be new business models because it's not just about actually what happens with the device. It's also the device means that it will ha have a way of, of intervening and managing the claim process as well. Mm. So there'll be an effect on the, on, on within the uh, supply chain as well because you'll have a reduction there as well of the number of claims and the way that they're processed. Plus you'll have automated processing from the device. So they, so, so once you start to think about the technology of this, which is again, for me, which is a point where I am so enthused about it is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift. It is a complete shift away from what we have done traditionally for home insurance, almost from inception into intelligence in the home. Really interesting. Really interesting. So we, we, we're going to go from, you know, door, door, door alarm with a, with a, with a camera to full on security throughout your house. So the insured, how the alarm company is going to, is it going to be all around fire well, and theft? Or is right, it going to okay. be? Do you know, it's, it's it's really interesting that because what we've got is we've got three merging markets. If you think about it, you've got uh, you 
Uh, and you've got what two two similar ones. So you've got the likes of Ring with Amazon. You know, but since you've got you and you you've not just got the ring, but you've also got, you know, what happens if something happens, they send send somebody to site and that costs you 75 pounds or whatever. Um, or you've actually got the dedicated um security companies that sit out there that will do, you know, monitor your home, monitor your cameras, etc. Um, then you've got insurance. And what you've got is almost everything amalgamated into one system. Because mm. you'll sit there and go, well, actually, um, and there's there's a, also a security point that comes with this as well, which is I, if I'm using Ring, where's my data sit? What am I doing with that data? Everything that with Ring all sits in the cloud. It doesn't sit with me on my system. Coming back to what I said at the start, this is about putting AI into the device in the home. It's AI in the device in the vehicle. This is the shift. This is this, you know, so at the moment we've seen chat GTP and we've all gone, wow, you know, isn't that fantastic? But there's been really good AI systems out there for the last four or five years doing particular jobs. It's just the fact that chat GTP has brought about something which means it, it plugs straight into the consumer and we can all use it. And therefore we all start to see the benefits and understanding of it. However, this technology that has been being built for AI onto home devices has been has been developed for the last three to four or five years. You know, it's not something that's just come about. Mm. These technologies have been developed. So as the the benefit is that the security aspects of it, it's in your home. You know, you own it. It's it's it, you manage it. You decide on how you want to implement it. For the in terms of the um, the notification, you know, you have an you have a for the policyholder. If you have an escape of water or you have a fire, it notifies you in real time. Now, actually, what does the security company do? Well, the security company, all that they do is they have a they have a dedicated number of people that they will call and they will call you to say, oh, by the way. You know, somebody's broken into your house, you know, or we've got this sensor and that's that sensor that have gone off. So chances are somebody's broken into the house. There is no difference. And if anything, I'm going to get a much richer experience by being able to log on to my own camera, my own app and look at what's happening. Mm. I mean, these devices, the intelligence that you've got in them, you're going to be able to set up. Um, um, uh, Geofences around your house you know, um, to, to monitor around your house. Who do you want in and out of the house so that you can guard against certain certain characteristics? And the, and the, the device eventually will be able to determine, you know, whether that's friend or foe, you know, is it do they go on the white list or the black list? Do I know who's going to come in to deliver the, uh, to deliver the goods today or not? It's, it's automatically going to, Got to, to to learn about you as an individual, you and the house, and um, and build that data set for you. So coming back to security, you're going to get a much richer experience, which will give you a, a lot better. You know, even if you look at areas that where you've got high vandalism, being able to manage that and be able to to get that information together to provide that back to to to, to, to the police or to actually stop it happening, yeah. you know, 
if you look at vandalism in terms of claims, I was trying to read this on a um, on a ABI report, and I think it was saying that something like um, vandalism claims have doubled in the last three years. So it's gone from four percent to round about nine percent of claims, and. So, so you're looking at something like that. Putting this in means that if I can identify who is it, when is it, what is it, it's a deterrent it, as well. It's, it's a deterrent. Mm. But the but the AI is going to be working and, and learning on that and actually looking at probability, the probability of information. So right now, there are a number of insurance companies out there and security businesses that are recognizing that this is coming and they are making the changes to adapt their business to to basically set themselves up for this consumer demand am i right or or are we still a long way away from that are some are some businesses behind the curve so it's quite interesting because if you look what's missing, you know, uh, what's missing in the market, the traditional insurers will look at it and say, well, number one, there's a cost. I've got to put a cost in. I have to put a cost in to actually um, put the device into the home. Mm. If I bundle it up as the insurance, I've got to put a cost in. Um, if I look at it from a, the aspect of um, underwriting, I haven't got any data yet to dem to be able to demonstrate that actually I've been able to intervene and reduce these costs, which is why I'm why my thought is that at the moment traditional insurers will probably sit on the sidelines and wait and watch. Then they're going to actually have to find third party devices, or they'll have to buy other insurers that have come to market because I absolutely do think there will be emerging. Um, insurers that will come to market you're seeing a little bit a little bit of this in the states there are already organizations new organizations that have set up as insurers into the u.s market and what's interesting is normally we 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 lag behind sorry normally they lag behind and we're normally the innovators into uh, home insurance whereas right now the u.s market is buying more into this concept so, you know, for me, a prediction is that you will have emerging new insurers that come to market. And what they'll be doing is working with, um, they'll be working with the underwriters, you know, to actually build the data sets into targeted markets. So. And, and how many years are we away from this? I, I think the products will start to hit the market next year. Definitely, think the markets I, will start to hit the market yeah. next year. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the adverts on TV for Sky and their devices. Yeah, yeah, and that's that for me is an intelligent gateway in the home. I don't think that is an AI system into the home, and that's 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 the that's again is where I think there's a leap coming as well because you know you've got gateways that can come in where you can connect multiple devices through, you can connect intelligence into the home, but actually putting AI into the home then that's going to de deliver a different level of service. So so talk to me about that AI. Where's that going to, if it's not going to sit in the cloud, it it's going to sit on, on your device. 
yeah, yeah, it's no different than having a Wi-Fi. You'll have a, a device in the home. Because I always thought, you know, before before sort of cloud storage and before your iCloud storage and your Google storage, I was I remember thinking to myself when um, my daughter was born back in two thousand and seven, and we had um, an Apple device that connected to um, it just it just connected to your laptop, but it backed up your laptop basically. And at one point we were running out of space because the amount of pictures we were taking. So we were taking pictures on a normal uh, camera, storing that on the laptop and then onto this backup device. And I always thought to myself, flipping heck, you know, we're all going to have backup devices in our, in our houses, but obviously that's kind of gone away now because we store everything in the cloud. But do you think that's going to, do you think that's going to come back then? Do you think that we will actually, from a security point of view, from a peace of mind point of view, there'll be consumer devices that that hold all of your data, so nobody else can can steal it. Is that is that? Well, the devices themselves will still have to have backup of information, mm. and it depends on how long we it will hold that data for. So there's questions there in terms of how long does it need to keep the data for? Right. You know, if you've got an escape of water or you've got a fire, then it'll keep that information because yeah. that's a that's an event and it, it wants to keep that information it doesn't need to keep any information on on its leak money on on leak leak detect or no leak detection or no fire or no no incident it only needs to record and keep the data for the incident so it's not a huge amount of data yeah of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay so um secondly it's going to be analyzing data and like i said it's going to be starting to look at predictive it's going to have the capability to do predictive analysis and that doesn't mean to say it won't uh, anonymize the data and then share that data with machine learning in the clouds to look at other aspects of information but it's going to be anonymized data because it's you know your data is your data yeah your security your information is your information and that's adding an, a layer of security as well for for you because at the moment, if you thought about and I'll you know Ring Ring sits in the cloud, it's managed in the cloud, and you're making a decision that yeah okay that can have all my information. It sits in the cloud. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes sense. But who, but and that brings out different security aspects to it as well. Whereas what you're doing is you're putting an extra safeguard in place, mm. an extra firewall in place, and put it into the device in the home. If you look, if you if you look at something, uh, if we look at uh, Web three as it's called, um, you know this forms a, this AI and decentralization is part of the next wave of Web three, and this is going to be the next wave will be is about how you put intelligence into the devices. If you really want to look hard at where that's going to go and the bigger picture is is where where do we interconnect at the moment? We have a device, we have a smart device, and that backs up into the cloud what we do. But at some stage, you know, they're talking about, you know, 10 years from now that we'll be interconnecting with AI itself and we will sort of back our memories into the cloud. You know, that's that's a little bit... That's, that's proper black mirror stuff that is john yeah yeah, yeah it is but, but you point, could see but you could see it yeah but, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. see it and come back to just the simple aspects of of web3 and the building blocks mm-hmm. of web3 it is about ai in the device it's it, it's it's on the edge 
So it's well, taken a shift. It's, it's moving everything back into the edge mm. because that's how, and decentralization, that's how you're going to get empowered to do things. Mm. And that's the, that's the risk and the threat to the big cloud vendors. You know, Web3 is seen as the, as the, as the threat to the um, large providers like Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc., because their devices are, are all and everything you do is all about how you do it in their environment. Whereas the device on the edge is about empowering the people. Interesting. And does that come, you know, with Web3 and you talk about it feels like we have let go of all of our data and we've given it away for free. Do you think in the future there's going to be a lot more? Because I could I could kind of see that um in the future, companies want to know more about us to understand our buying habits. As an example, would we not then would we not be paid by them to share our data? That's that's already going on, surely. So uh, the reason why I've got a bit of a wry smile on that one was um, <laughs> I sat in a um, I, I sat in a lecture at Lancaster University with a futurist called uh, James Whitaker. He's well known. He's a he's a doctorate at uh, Lancaster, but he's a he's a uh, uh, he was employed. I think when I met him, he was employed by uh, Microsoft as one of their um, futurists. And um, it's an he 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 documented this. And if you look at him and his videos, there will be videos of him talking about this and. Uh, uh, talking about this exact thing that you're talking about there but so this goes back to my December. futurist now <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but this is this goes back to i'll take that yeah i'll take that i'll have some of that um well firstly for me what you know he he talks about people like him and ray kurzfeld people talk about futurists and people mm. get really frightened by them but the difference about a futurist 20 years ago to a futurist today is that Google, Microsoft, organizations like that, and Jim Jim, uh, or James Whitaker is employed by Microsoft. He says, we sit on data set of 30 years of information. So being able to make a prediction of what's going to happen in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, is not as difficult as you think it is because you've got huge amounts of data that you're sucking in mm. and you're able to analyze. But coming back to the question you asked about um, about the um, the value of the consumer, he asked a question. Uh, this is twenty nineteen, so this is almost four, this is four years ago. Uh, he said, "What's the value that we give away in our data? Mm. What's the annual value that you give away in the data?" To the, to the to the to the service providers are used so the so the likes of Facebook and the social media. And he, has he put a price on it? Yeah, yeah. And this is twenty. Oh, right. This is four years ago. It's twenty thousand okay. dollars a year you give away. Wow. How's that? How did he come up with that figure then? Because what they've done, they're Microsoft. Right. You know, very moment <laughs> I just said the Microsoft. They okay. analyze what yeah. data you are giving through the services you use free of charge and it's twenty thousand pounds twenty thousand dollars that's four years ago wow 
So there is a market then for somebody to come up with something to say. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what yeah. he was predicting. He was predicting right. that actually it's going to turn around and it will turn around where everything goes to the edge because yeah. you're going to get empowered. And that's why Web3 is important because it's about empowering, you know, the people. Right. Okay. Coming back to um, insurance companies and claims management companies, um, what, what's been your experience of insurance tech and how that's improved those businesses? That's one question. Um, and then where do you see the future? What more do they need to be doing um, to, to kind of, you know, come up to speed and, and be ready for this change? So it's quite interesting because you get very much a, it, from my experience of dealing in the market, let's talk about that. I yeah. Think that's for me is the important thing, you know. So I've dealt with, um, I dealt with some insurers who were right at the forefront of really trying to understand the digital journey of the uh, insurance process. And for them, the outcome has always been about how do we improve the user experience? You know, so I learned that lesson from uh, speaking to um, Steve Trelaw uh, and Martin Milner at uh, LV. You know, we had done something quite fundamental in terms of saving them a huge amount of time in the processing of motor claims. And, and I was like, oh, cranky, this must have taken so much um, cost out, out, of, out of the process, which it had done. But the big thing that they wanted to do was look at what was the what was the improvement in the user experience? Because it's, for them, it was all about, yes, they've saved all that money in the, in the claim. But it's about the user experience. They want to know how they're going to maintain that customer. How do they how do they give that user the best experience possible to stay with them as a policyholder? Because the cost of recycling, because of a poor experience, is just just as detrimental as as and just as cost costly as as the claim process itself. You know, they don't want to be recycling. They want to maintain. They want to maintain that customer. So for me. First and foremost, it's it's understanding the di digital journey. It's understanding that digital journey, whether that's with a, a policyholder or whether that's in the supply chain. And equally, if you're in the supply chain, it's about understanding how does that work for your client? How does that work with their um, policyholder? And how are you going to improve it for the policyholder? And... So you've got different mechanisms there. You've got to think of it as the insurer, but you've also got to think of it as the as the um, supply chain. Um, so so in terms of where are those improvements, um, they're coming right now. So if I look at some of the big insurers, you know they're already implementing um, AI. They've had AI systems in place for three to four years again talking about ai it's not new 
this it's it's been around for several years you know i'm making i'm reiterating the point again because jack ttp or bard you know they've just made it commercial they've made it you know the consumer understand that it's there and what it's capable of Mm. the speed of change though is going to be pretty fundamental again if you come back to looking at the market analysis the speed of change of ai and, and the the use of it is where it's going to be. There's going to be this paradigm shift. So for me, again, just coming back to the first one, I think is going to be in home and content, home building and content. It's going to be because the technology's there, the technology's ready, it can be adopted, and it's it can be used to really can control costs at a level we've never seen before, but improve the user experience. And it's that whole journey that comes together. The same will happen in motor, but motor has to go through all those points of legislation. Um, it costs us more to buy a vehicle, replace a vehicle. You know, you're talking, you know, you're talking peanuts for mm. you know a device into the home versus you know an AI or, or uh, you know autonomous vehicle sat on your drive. So you've got different aspects. I think in terms of within t- taking, um, you know, new technologies merging into uh, major loss and, and um, risk management. Again, it's I keep it a very simple level, but it's about automation. And I talked before, and you, you challenged me quite rightly on the question: Is aren't people already doing this? And the answer is brutally, no, they're not. Some are, some aren't. And at the moment, it's not made that much difference competitively. But as these processes, as these processes in this automation gets embedded into organizations and they get adopted, people will gain really competitive edges. So you will get uh, emerging organizations or networks where um, they have a much more competitive edge and previously, I think some insurers, um, you know, in in that sort of major loss stroke risk management area, have not been that um, concerned about the use of technology. But you could almost see, and, and I'm pushing the boat out a little bit further here to say, within three to four years from now, you can almost see how the use of AI. What I talked about before was the professional in the field being, you know, he is a a degree certified uh, adjuster or claim handler um, or risk assessor. But what stops me being able to do that on a device with AI in it, putting AI on the edge? Because what what the AI will do is, is you could send somebody who's, you know, semi-qualified, part qualified, hold the camera, you know, move the device around, collect the information, and the AI will make the assessment. The AI will collect the information in the future. And you've got this, so you've got this situation at the moment where organizations, some are doing it, some are almost sat on the fence trying to learn and build it in and starting to learn with it. But again, you've got this piece of technology that's coming in, which is AI into the device. A good example would be, and I don't know whether anyone's seen it, but I think it, I can't remember the news channel it was on, but uh, there was this guy called Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> and and he was he, he did a um, 
he, he was sat on one of the news channels. He did a some, it was about a 20 minute interview on one of the news channels. And he brought out this smart device with a um with an ultrasound um camera on it for mm. you know ultrasounding for pregnant mm. uh, pregnant uh women. Okay. And 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 he said, you know, I'm gonna show this as an example of a significant step of how AI can be used. By the way, on the device, I'm making the point here. AI okay. on the device. On the device. On the edge. On the edge. Mm-hmm. You plug you plug the camera in. You see, you plug your ultrasound camera in. And what it means is it's got an app and it's got the AI on the device that can then do the ultrasound. I don't need to have a big ultrasound piece of equipment sat in a hospital. The implication of that and what he talked about was this is not for um, so so in other words, what you can do is you can do you can have somebody and two well, let's say two things. Firstly, I can now take it into a home. I haven't got to get somebody to a hospital. I can now have somebody traveling out to people to actually do a review of their stage of peg pregnancy. Mm. And if there's a risk, then that can get escalated and then they can travel to the hospital if need be. That's so- the that's the first implication. I right. don't need. I don't need a maternity expen- midwife. Well, for, no, that's the second point. First point is I don't need expensive equipment. I can mm. do it all on a smart device. I can do the whole thing. And he was talking about thousands of a couple of thousand dollars. Wow. Whereas tens of thousands of dollars for the device for mm. for, for an ultra, you know, for an ultrasound yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But secondly. You didn't need the midwife because the AI system can do the detection of mm. whether there's any difficulty or any risk to the uh, to the baby or not. So that's that, that is a great example of a smart device with you know uh, AI on the edge being able to do something and intervene. So we what you're basically telling me is that we haven't yet reached a tipping point in the insurance technology market so it feels like lots of companies have been doing stuff for a while some yeah. have been as you say on the periphery of it but i guess when we get an uber moment you know all of a sudden all taxis are booked over an app but until we reach that tipping point insurance companies are still going to kind of they're going to innovate they're going to they're going to sort of improve their processes Ultimately, it's going to save them, you know, um, you know, revenue, money, profit and increased profits, et cetera. And great businesses out there that are going to be focusing on customer journey and the experience. But until we reach a tipping point, which doesn't feel like we've got there yet, it's not going to be fully adopted by everybody. And then all of a sudden we're going to see a big shift. Is that is that kind of fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's going to be about timing of that shift as well in mm. terms of you know, so if if you're planning, you know, everyone it used to be that uh, magic number where you've got to get sixteen percent user adoption to say that there's a market, you're going to get mass market appeal. So you know, mm. cross 
crossing the chasm as they used to talk at what point you cross the chasm into mass market adoption was you got to get to 16 percent. so we've got to have 16 percent of the market using ai devices in the home to monitor their insurance claims that could sit on multiple devices but eventually you will i think you will have you know somebody that moves in the market that will actually get 16 percent of the market and then you're really going to be you know that at that stage, then you're really going to be swimming against it because they're going to be sat on the data. Come back to it. This is, you know, the race is about being a data business. Mm. Interesting. I've, I heard a story about Lloyd's Insurance. Do you know where Lloyd's Insurance was established and what it was originally before it was an insurance company? It was a coffee shop, wasn't it? It was established that, yeah. That's right, yeah. Coffee shop, yeah. Found that quite interesting. But it was it was bringing people together, talking about different challenges, problems, and going, "Oh, there's a market here. We need to be doing something with this. <laughs> this coffee shop can only go so far." And then, um, yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So there could be another Lloyd's Insurance business coming out of there, but there won't be a coffee shop at the moment. They're a connected device. They're an Internet of Things. There are they are looking at different ways. They're they're turning the market on its head a little bit and putting the control back into the the consumer yeah i mean intelligence into the home itself won't just come along with through insurance but you know you're going to get um the, the ability to interconnect um multiple types of devices to do with healthcare, um etc etc you know to make it easier for um you know what classifies vulnerable people living on their own yeah. you know so that you know maybe somebody with dementia you know, I want to know where, what time they got up in the morning. Did they switch yeah. the kettle on? You know, and my my, my uncle's just had a, a heart um, um, operation, and he's now got a connected device that reports in real time to the hospital how his heart's performing. And before, if there's any problems, they'll know about it at exactly the same time as he will. And he lives in a remote part of Wales, so yeah, it's it's the the technology's there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's just adoption, as you say, and that magic 16% number. Um, I want to, I want to sort of segue a little bit, and this is a bad segue, but I want to, I want to sort of pick your brains a little bit, coming back to your experience of the first cyber insurance policy. We're talking to a lot of companies right now about, um, cyber insurance or cyber, um, technology. Um, th there's an awful lot of movement in in tech and IT to counter this. And you you were giving me some pretty stark statistics around where cyber insurance is at the moment and where it's going to be. Do you, do you want to just sort of you know talk a little bit about that? Right. Okay. So I'm trying to recall. Uh, so firstly, um, I did some, uh, so firstly, we, when I was at Evid, so I'm recalling my experience at Evid. So yeah. one of the things we did was we put a, uh, an insurance policy in place in 2019. We did have one previously, but one of the things that I'd noted was reading the documentation. And I still think that this is a gap that, um, if I'm a SaaS provider, um, if you look at your contract, your contract will be with the cloud provider that you use, 
will be that your SLA will be that they will credit you for um, downtime. So depending on how much you spend, you will get two days, three days, four days, five, maybe five days, credit days. You may get slightly better than that, but you'll get a number of credit days for your downtime. Yeah. The issue that you've got is that that does nothing to cover you for the likelihood of, especially if you, you're thinking that you're running uh, mission critical services for an enterprise and you lose or get disrupted on their um on on your services so one of the issues that we found was the cyber insurance policies at the time did not cover for the loss of um service so you have to get a specialist service and what we found was there are only three or four um underwriters or insurers out in the market that were actually offering uh, cyber insurance policies for um, the loss of revenue that you or, or the loss of services that may impact you because you're not going to get anything like the potential impact and let me give you an example there would be that if you say say you spend you know ten thousand pound a month on on azure whatever that number is or on google um if you suffer a downtime which affects um your customer base, you could have a loss of um, data, um, which means that they could have a loss of revenue. And that can be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. And they're going to come come to you. And especially if you've got a policy there, they're going to come to you and say, pay us that. And typically what you're then going to do is you're going to say, well, firstly, I've got my insurance policy. And secondly, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the service, the cloud provider and look at what they're going to give me. And they're going to give you five days credit, 14 days credit. You know, at 14 days credit, that means I get 5,000 pounds. So you've got a gap. Mm. So that for me is, is, is firstly, there is an, there is an immediate gap. Um, and, and secondly, um, there's probably only around about 10% plus of UK SMEs actually holding a cyber insurance policy. And I was absolutely astounded at that. So although you've got the, um, you know, the enterprise market, the large enterprise market that have probably got cyber insurance policies in place, or they should be um, self-insuring, um, it's what happens in that medium to large and SME market. And, and the numbers were staggeringly small. And then there's a third aspect of it as well, which is, and I think this for me was the probably the number that you were um, we talked about, which is if we looked at the total capacity in the market of, in, in, of cyber insurance today, it's about 25 uh, billion. And we think that's a big number. But then when you think about, the actual value that transacts through the uh, internet on a daily basis, it's colossal. Mm. Um, so, so in effect, you couldn't, it, the, the, the policies there to the policy that the, the policy and the capacity that is there today could not actually underwrite the capacity of the, um, if there was a seismic event, it couldn't underwrite it. And another way of looking at it would be that, and I think this is almost where the vehicle, where the vehicle market will go, 
It's, um, but if we think about UK vehicles, we've got 34, 32, 34 million vehicles on the UK roads. How much insurance do we spend on that? You can work that out, say an average of £300. You can multiply that and you can work out X billion that we spend on motor insurance mm. in the UK. And then you can start to assess what's that, what does that capacity of $25 billion in cyber insurance mean? So cyber insurance is very much at its uh, still at its early stages. And one of the issues with that is that there isn't the data sets available for it. It's a, such a changing market. So because the threats are changing on a, on a daily basis. But we've still got an opportunity there. There's going to be a massive opportunity for insurance companies around cyber then. I but think the, you could... but, but they don't know what the risks are yet. Well, I, yeah. I, I, well, I think first, if I, what, I was le le what I was alluding to a few minutes ago was if you think about the autonomous vehicle, the autonomous vehicle is the threat will be that if you have an autonomous vehicle, you're still probably going to want, if you own the vehicle, you're going to still want it insured, but you're not going to have it insured against accident because your chances of an accident is going to be pretty minimal when mm. everything is automated. You know, you might actually fall on it, scratch it, bump it yourself, but you're more likely to want a cyber insurance policy against it being hacked. And there's the other opportunity for personal cyber insurance, insurance policies in the home linked to you, you as an individual, your car, your house, yeah, everything, be. because people are going to want to hack into your network. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, and I did notice that um, uh, a couple of the um, housing uh, or home and content policies these days also do give you a level of um, cyber policy uh, coverage as well. Yeah. So they do. They're starting to enter into that. Yeah. But but you can see how it, how it will change and how it will morph from being, you know, effectively if i can manage a, a leak if i can manage a fire and, and these other aspects of things i can start to manage those and my costs are reducing but you're more likely to have other risks well it's escalating i mean we, we talk about when I mean, we're just talking then about cyber insurance and who would have thought it 15 years ago that i would even consider getting some cyber insurance for myself but um a friend of mine has, has actually just completed a house extension. So he's sort of like built on top of his garage and built a new room and what have you. So employed some builders, local firm, um, and the last amount of money that he was due to pay them, there was conversation over email. Um, and I won't give you the number, but it's a significant amount of money. It's, a, you know, the, the final bit of this build so it's not a it's not a small amount of cash it's not like oh i owe i owe the builder 500 quid i'll just transfer it to him on on a bank transfer so into the thousands ten more than tens of thousands anyway he's having a conversation with his builder over email the builder is saying can you pay this today um john I won't call him his real name, but anyway. And um, so John goes, yeah, no problem. He said, oh, just before you do that, we've changed our bank. Um, we've had to change our bank state, uh, bank account details. Can you pay it into this bank? 
So John, unbeknown, thinks he's talking to the the builder, sends the money to the this other account, and then uh, the weekend goes by, and uh, the builder chases him on text message on the Monday. Um, oh, I didn't get that that money through, John. And he went, oh, well, I, I did send it. I sent it on Friday. And immediately he realised that a hacker had got into the builder's email account. And as he's emailing this, uh, my friend, he's deleting the other emails. And um, yeah, yeah, sort Don't of like, do. yeah, bonkers. So, you know, a cyber insurance policy would cover him or the builder in some way to make sure that money was 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 paid back, I guess. But at the moment now, it's an argument with the bank and trying to sort of, you know, the problem of trying to get money back from a bank where you've made the payment. Um, but there's obviously, you know, frauds taking place. But that's a, it's a difficult so, one, isn't it? Would a, would a cyber insurance policy cover somebody in that situation, maybe? Well, it's an interesting one because who's at fault? Because what you said yeah. there is the builder's at fault. Yeah. So I'd be saying, you've had the payment. It's your risk. You've not taken the you've not taken the actions to mitigate the risk and actually put the protection in place to make sure you're not hacked. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Mm. You've had the payment. Mm. That's well, you know if you actually not, looked at it legally. Yeah, he has. Yeah. You, you know, you see your friends made the payment in all good faith. The builder's not taken the action to protect. And make sure that it's so it's the builder that needs the policy. The cyber insurance. The builder needs policy. the policy. Isn't that amazing? A builder needs cyber insurance, insurance policy. policy. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, anyway. I'm not a lawyer, by the way, so let's just put that on the line. <laughs> but but from the way you talked about yeah, it, yeah, I, yeah. I'd be looking at it if, if I was an insurer, I'd say, well, who's who's got the risk? Mm. Mm. The, the builders just yeah, the the, build, it, yeah yeah or the bank for not for not checking that the fraudulent person set up a business in the set up of the business account with this building yeah, company's name as well, well yeah. scary scary um you, you know you've got to be really careful it's not just somebody sending you a dodgy text message or an email from a different country asking you to deposit a thousand pounds into a bank to get some money back or something it's something as what we would see as innocuous. You think you're talking to the builder. You're there. You're but unless I gave the bank the details, if I've told the bank I'm going to make a payment today of £25,000 to this builder, and if that builder, if if you've got the fraudster who's, who's got in and he's still got the name of um, ABC Builders, and it's ABC Builders X, um, or it's ABC Builders going to a different bank account, would the bank notice that? Mm. Yeah, no, they probably wouldn't do. Would they? That's where, you, that's where you've got to have AI in, because mm. the AI should be learning about yeah. if you do send a notification to send anyone, I'm going to send a bank, bank details to this, then it's actually, that would be an easy way of managing it. But who's at fault? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just summarizing a few of the things that we've talked about and you've you've explained, um, it feels like there's opportunities there for big insurance companies to use technology, use AI 
to improve that customer experience, to improve the supply chain, that's ultimately going to save them money, um, increase their profits, um, actually generate more customers potentially because you're improving that customer experience. There's an opportunity there for small startup tech businesses in insurance tech to be able to disrupt a little bit and, and again, improve customer experience, reduce costs, ultimately provide a better insurance policy. There's the opportunity in, in the home, in the car, for those connected devices. That's really interesting, fascinating stuff about that. Um, the loss adjusters, the claims management companies, we've not really talked about that, but again, the same thing, bringing technology that they're probably not used to doing because the, these are old traditional, not old, but traditional businesses and their business model hasn't really changed for a long time, but now it is. There's that change there, either driven through customer experience, improving it, combating fraud, saving them money because you were telling me about the amounts of money that have to be held on deposit to just to process claims. So you reduce that time of process. Yeah, it's called the reserve. It's called the, the reserve. reserve. Yeah. So there's there's lots of opportunities here for businesses and insurance, whether it be the supply chain, the claims companies, the insurance companies themselves, um, these connected devices. There's lots of opportunity here to basically deliver improve the whole industry for for the consumer and 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 yeah it sounds like you've got a lot of opportunity yourself then john so do you feel like you could i know we've talked about this but go into an insurance company or a, a claims business or even a startup and be able to offer your experience your expertise your knowledge everything that you've gained over the last sort of 20 odd years I'm guessing you're able to now go into any business that's in this market and offer them real insight and guidance and advice. I think, um, yeah. So I think if I was to look at, um, you know, insurance in the supply chain, it would be helping them to analyze where they are in the market. What's, you know, what's the, what's the demographics of the customers that they work with and what are their customers? So if it's in the supply chain, um, you know, who are your insurers and who are they selling to? How do you need to, what do we need to think of? What do we need to consider? Um, are the new products, new trends that we need to fit around? Um, if we are, or if we are uh, an insurer, that's very much down to, you know, policyholder. Um, who is, again, what's your demographic? Who you're selling to? What's your expectation? Um, so, yeah, and then I think in terms of how it how it also flows into is is for me is my experience of being in that um, startup to um, you know what's the get go, how do you actually uh, what's your go to market, um, and and ultimately for me I think the key thing is about um, being a safe pair of hands, being able to I think the one thing that um, somebody in my position can offer is is the experience it's a spin safe pair of hands it's the fact that you know you've got ex expertise and experience that you've gained over over years and it's how you can impart that with people to help them make informed decisions and timely decisions because time is money and and that is that is a key value that 
you know so by offering services such as fractional services or project services helping people to engineer around things or consider things which sometimes they can't see because they're right in the middle of it being able to get them to sort of look at what that means you know how do we implement it how do we uh, plan for it etc so you know um joining the dots really yeah i can see that um and you know my experience of working with you over the last sort of couple of months or so has been has been really eye opening to me and um i hope that some of our clients will um you know get in touch off the back of this podcast and and see how we can bring you into their business to help them um and so on that note um it's been brilliant to talk to you today john i really appreciate it and um i'm sure we'll 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 have another one of these discussions at some point in the future um but yeah really really thank you for for joining me on the um on the podcast and um yeah i i hope to have you back on in the future i hope well, you've enjoyed it yeah i have it's been great many thanks sam really appreciated it it's been great good stuff excellent thank you for listening to this episode of the true worth tech talks podcast it means a lot and if you got this far we want to reward your patience send me an email to sam at trueworthconsulting.com and just put the word eric in the subject field and your home address in the mail I won't keep that data or store it anywhere, I promise you, but I will send you a special gift as a thank you. And any feedback will be greatly appreciated. Tell us what you think, what you want us to be talking about in the future episodes, and we'll try to make that happen. Now, if this gets really popular, we might have to change this message. But for now, let's see how many people actually listen all the way to the end of a podcast. And if that's you, thank you. And I look forward to speaking to you on the next one. Take care. Bye for now.